We're joined again by uh, Dennis Noble to discuss new ideas about evolution. Uh, and uh, Dennis, welcome once again to, to the Thin back. End. <laughs> yes. It's nice to have you back. Um, what we want to do today is talk about uh, purposefulness in um, organisms. Purpose, purposefulness, a difficult word to, to, to pronounce. That, that organisms have purpose, that systems have purpose, a reason for being, and so on. Um, so, uh, but I want to start by asking the question, what do people mean when they say that the, as Richard Dawkins did, the watchmaker was blind or is blind? What, what do they mean by that? I think it's worth reminding ourselves, first of all, how that phrase arose in the first place because it goes back to the 19th century argument over evolution and William Paley produced the argument that if you found a watch in the desert you could certainly conclude that somewhere there was a watchmaker even if you never met a watchmaker you would know there had to have been one. And so his argument against evolution in those days was clearly the organisms we know, you and me and many other organisms, are extraordinarily purposeful things. We have intentions, we have aims and goals to eat, to reproduce and so on. And so his conclusion was there had to have been, just like the watchmaker, somebody who, or something, that deliberately made organisms to be like that, to build functionality in, just as we build functionality into making a train, a computer, or an aeroplane, or whatever it might be. The purpose of a, a watch, of course, is to tell the time. And it, it, it can only fulfil that purpose in relation to a, a creator who wished to know the time. Yes, that's right. So it's, exactly got, a, it's so. got a purpose that is not simply within itself. If you were a little micro, if you were a little tiny, tiny um, alien sitting inside the watch, you may be totally unaware of the fact that the watch <laughs> has that particular um, purpose, wouldn't you, necessarily? Yes, but yes. but let's. Uh, so, wh wh what is the difference then when we're talking about? Because there you're talking about intelligent design, aren't you? The thing is designed, and it's intelligently designed. It's designed because it fulfills a particular purpose. Therefore, it's yes. structured in this way, and so on. That's right, and and of course, the intelligent design and creationist. Uh, people would argue that's precisely what has happened, that somehow intelligence out there, about which we know very little, um, has designed everything that we find in the world. And so we can refer to that, I think, as saying that there was a grand purpose yes. to the whole of existence, which comes from outside us, Yes. Because that intelligent designer was not us. Mm. And outside organisms generally, because the general process of producing organisms, whether produced by evolution or by any other means, has been to 
endow them with purposive behaviour. But what we would be saying is that there's a difference between intelligence on the one hand in relation to design and the logic of the system, the logic of the bits of machinery. Uh, there's a difference between logic, right. in a sense, and, in, and, and intelligence, isn't there? Because there can be a there can be a sort of a logic of the system's organisation. For example, we can see that in, when we look at the renal system. We can see that right. the renal system is um, organised, structured, in order to filter the blood. There is a wonderful little filter in each of the little millions and millions of these little units called nephrons, and we mm. know that there's, mm. a, there's a, a lovely filter that uh, filters the blood. Uh, that large particles can't pass through that filter. And then there's a way through the nephron in which the blood is further cleansed and that those uh, ions that are needed, for example, are absorbed back up into the system and so on. And so, so in the end, you end up ridding the body of toxins, which is a purpose of the renal system. The renal system has purpose and there is logic within the system in relation to how that works. But that, that is not necessarily what people mean when they talk about intelligence in relation to design, is it? Well, yes, this is, um, it's it's very difficult, isn't it? Um, Of course, there's something else that's added to this when one comes to intelligent design, which is, of course, the implication that it could not have been the case that something that behaves as though it was intelligently designed could have arisen by chance. And the usual argument is, imagine all the pieces of a Boeing 747 just sort of, as it were, coming together (laughs) to form a Boeing 747. It doesn't make sense. And so this is another way of saying that it is extremely improbable that by chance things as complicated as you and me could have arisen. Mm. Right? Now, I think that argument is absolutely correct, interestingly. Correct up to a point, or just simply correct? Well, it's correct in the following sense. You see, we've got about, give or take a few, about 25,000 protein encoding parts of our genome. Of course, there's lots of other things that are made, other RNAs made by the other parts of the um, of the genome. But let's just focus for a moment on the fact that there's 25,000 protein coding bits. Take those alone. Add other bits, my argument becomes stronger. How many interactions can there be between Mm. 25,000 items interacting amongst themselves? The answer is incredible. 10 to the 70,000. Now, there are only 10 to the 80 particles in the universe, the known universe. (laughs) And so, in this sense, I agree with those who say it's extremely improbable that just by... um, something happening stochastically, entirely by chance, that we should have and do exist. So our challenge is to get from that point, which is accepted, Yes. that when you look at the physics of the world as we know it, when we delve deeper and deeper into it, there are simply things happening by chance, random... Well, down at a low level, that's obviously true. In fact, yes. every at every level below the molecular, and in the molecular level itself too... So how can we then get complex organisms, complex social beings? Well, you know, physics taught us the way. 
to some extent. Just a little bit, but it's a very important hint. Because consider this. If the particles of a gas were to be just diffusing everywhere and nowhere, hmm. of course it would be the case that what we know as the chance movement of the gas molecules hmm. would lead to the fact that the whole thing would be a chancy thing. Hmm. As soon as you put it in a container, yeah. put that gas into a balloon, for example, yeah. Yeah. you've got a pressure. Put different gases in and you get different pressures. And you get different ways in which they will behave in the atmosphere. Yes, yes. And the important contribution that physics makes to this is that chance and stochasticity are the same thing for the present at the molecular level are totally consistent with determinate behaviour at mm, a global level. Mm, mm. And, of course, we know why that is the case. It's the law of large numbers. Mm. If very large numbers mm. of molecules are moving stochastically, mm. their individual motions cancel the vibrations, the little variations yes, out yes, of each yes, other yes. so that you get an almost constant pressure, constant temperature. Yes. Um, so physics gives us something that you don't even have to bother about uh, living systems to prove that point. Physics gives us a very important insight, which is that stochasticity at one level is consistent with determinate behaviour at another level. Mm. And indeed, that determinate behaviour can be used by us to build a thermostat and yes. a system that controls yes. a, a pressure vessel yes. to do X, Y and Z. So we actually use thermodynamics in this kind of way. It's how we make a steam engine too. Well, so do cells. I mean, when you look at cells, you, it, 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 you, know, you, you, you take a membrane and as soon as you have a membrane which is permeable to some ion species yeah. and not permeable to others, you've got the potential there if I use that word, um, the potential there for generating potential. Because the the random movement of ion species across that membrane Mm. uh, can produce a voltage difference across the membrane if more of one ion species, let's say positive ions, move across the membrane and create a difference, an electrical difference between them. And that is, when you look at what's happening there, that's really just random movement of ion species. But it generates a voltage difference. And, And so much of our body is dependent upon that well uh, living cells totally depend on totally that dependent. Uh, yes, totally absolutely. dependent absolutely without that there wouldn't be a difference between the outside and the inside and there has to be exactly so um now that's a very good way of putting it because that's the sense in which physics comes in immediately yes. in just the sense we've discussed just as you get pressure developed in a gas in a balloon mm. you get a voltage generated in uh, a system that has a cell membrane with permeable uh protein molecules that enable certain ions to move through. Absolutely right. So this much we get from physics. Yes. Those things will form quite naturally, just as as soon as you put a gas inside a balloon, it naturally generates a pressure. So, so far, so good. What this is telling us is that once you've got constraint... Yes. ...by one level... Yes. ...on the molecular events at another level... You've still got stochasticity, but subtly you've got some boundaries. Yes. And those boundaries are what impose the restraints on the movements. Now, a good old-fashioned determinist would say, but wait a minute, Dennis, you see, 
all of those molecules are behaving following the laws of quantum mechanics, the laws of Newtonian bumping this way and, and, and that way, uh, Newtonian mechanics as well, therefore. Um, are you saying that those laws are broken in a living system? And I'm saying no, not at all. Because there's a very interesting thing about those laws. How are they represented? They're represented mm. by differential equations. Mm. How do you solve differential equations? You can't yes. solve them no. without a boundary. Boundary, boundary and conditions. You cannot solve those equations without the initial and boundary conditions. Yes. That's where the constraint comes in. Yes. So there's no mystery to this at all. No. That, so far, which we get only from physics so yes. far, is that determinate behaviour... Yes emerges in a system simply by constraining it. So what makes so a far. system what makes a system biology rather than just now simply we, physics then? Yes. <laughs> now we come on to a very interesting question indeed because the answer from the standard story of evolutionary biology the neo-darwinist modern yes, synthesis yes. would be to say well now the equivalent of our gas molecules in organisms are genes. Yes. Um, how do genes vary? They do so by stochastic variation. This is the random mutations. Random chance That's mutations. Right. And so if you want to evolve, or if you want to explain, sorry, how something has evolved, it's very difficult mm. to get and avoid <laughs> some of the difficulties of language here, isn't it? But if you want to explain how something can have evolved from... A relatively unstructured state, yes, which might have been an early cell with just a voltage across it and a sure. few ions moving this way and that way, yes. to something as complicated as the cells in your body and mine with all its complicated metabolism, that what you'd have to suppose is that over exceedingly long periods of time, that with gradual accumulation of variation which is entirely random, selection can occur to select out what works, what works in the sense of being able, first of all, to keep itself going, second, to reproduce itself. Those are the two key things that um, the early living things would have had to have done to be called living at all. So, the standard story will say that's all entirely by chance and has been all the way through to producing mm, you and me. Mm, mm. Now, that seems to me to be very strange because go back to what we've learned from physics, which mm. is that as soon as you go to another level, constraint in a container, you go from stochasticity to determinate behaviour. Yes. Now let's imagine you go to further and further levels. Yes. Why not? Each constraining, of each constraining the level below. And that's when you start getting yes. a clear organisation. Exactly. Clear structure. Now, something then very interesting happens. And, you, and, 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 and furthermore, you, you, mm. you, you begin to define purpose or function at different levels. Absolutely right. And you won't find in many cases, the function of the kidney in the genes that are no. used to no. make the proteins that make the kidney. Where you will find yes. the function is to understand all of those constraints that the kidney puts on the molecules yes. that form it 
to make it function in the way that it does. Now the question yes. is, how did that arise? Yes. Now, what I'm imagining is that in addition, therefore, of learning from physics to go from one level, the molecular, to a global level, imagine concentric circles of levels yes. of organisation. Yes. Now, we come on then to another major principle, which is what we learn from the physics of, or mathematics of attractors. Now, that's yes. the idea that... Well, let's take a purely physical system first. Let, let's look at... It's a lovely day today, incidentally. Beautiful, clear sky. Yeah. But you'd be misled if you thought that was all was happening because yes. actually um, parts of the atmosphere are moving up because heat rises, parts are moving down, slowly things accumulate, water particles go up there, clouds form. And this and is before forming you know our it, overall weather system. Exactly we? so, it's the weather system. And before you know it, we might, in a few days' time, have a tornado. <coughs> How does it form? It forms itself. Yes. And again, you see, you've got the same principle. Those air molecules in the tornado are swinging around in a very, very determinate way. It's a top. It's spinning like this. All the molecules go with it. That's what we mean by an attractor. Yes. Now, the interesting thing is they continue to behave and obey the normal laws of Newtonian and quantum mechanics. Again, it's the boundary conditions. What are the boundary conditions in this case? Boundary conditions in this case are the formation of the tornado itself. So I think what we've got to see in living systems is that you go to higher and higher levels, principles of organisation have, and we have to use the word, emerged. Emerged, yes. So that once they've emerged, and here's the important insight, you can't go back. Mm. So once you've got a system that can, or we use the word homeostatically, yes. control itself. maintain itself. Precisely. Once you've got And that's that, the key to understanding life, isn't it? Because it, if you want to define life, it is a system that seeks to maintain its integrity. Exactly so. And, and reproduce and, that. And, and that becomes yeah. the function of the system. The purpose that's of right. the system is the system. Yes, exactly. Purpose, so that's where we get purpose. Exactly so, yes. And, and yes. we get purposeful, yeah. in relation to you and I, we get purposeful behavior that's right because all that behavior can be understood in relation to the way in which we as organisms we as social beings maintain ourselves yes now here the standard evolutionary biologists would say well wait a minute it's still true that all of those gene mutations are occurring randomly yeah yes so how do we reconcile yes all of that random variation in the genes. We can't deny it happens, it does. Indeed. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, just uh, copying DNA in the process of copying yes. will yes. produce about one error every 10,000 base pairs. Yes, but there are mechanisms within the system that Which reduce that. Reduce that, that's right. We'll come back to that because that's yes. going to be a very important part yes. of our discussion, I think. Now, we come to the question... Um, could it really be that out of random behaviour, such organisation we're talking about at different organisational levels can have emerged? My answer to that is it cannot but have emerged. Mm. Now, great um, thing about what we know today and have known for about 50 years is that 
we can see exactly how organisms harness, use stochasticity to generate function. Let's just take one example of what is happening in your body and mine yes. at the moment. We're being invaded by all kinds of antigens, mm. all kinds of particles mm. that either bits of stuff in the air that we breathe in or stuff that we've picked up from wherever we've touched something. And what does our immune system do? It says, hey, wait a minute, we've got a problem. I'm, I'm anthropomorphizing now to sort no, of no, explain no, of what's happening. Yes, so I we, we don't obviously mean that <laughs> the immune system thinks in this yes, way. Yes. But let's sort of use the anthropomorphic But there is a logic to the purpose of the, of the system. Which is why I go back to that word logic. Yes. Uh, and, and making a slight difference between understanding the logic yes, and, and necessarily right. seeing something as an intelligent... Precisely so. Uh, we can yes. leave the question of intelligence to one yes, side from for a moment. Let's yes. just, just deal with yes. what logic emerges. That's a good yes. way to put it, isn't it? Now, what does the immune system do? Uh, again, using the anthropomorphic language, what it does is to say, ah, we've got a challenge. I know what we'll do. We've got a fruit machine inside us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we have got the part of the genome that makes what are called immunoglobulins, that is, codes for those kinds of proteins. Mm. Now, it's very interesting. The genome for those, the gene sequences that are used to make those, have got two, well, actually more than two, but for the moment we'll just say two very distinct parts to them. There's one part, which is actually the longest part of the string, which is usually held constant because it has a very important function. It's what enables the hemoglobin to be an hemoglobin yes. at all. And there's another part, it's a small part, which is highly variable between different immunoglobulins. Yes. This is what gives it the specific form of a key to go for the right lock. Yes. And that's what the immune system goes for it says hey so like a locksmith <laughs> yes absolutely so say so it puts the putty in the in the lock and to get the right out what, yes. <laughs> but but now coming back to how extraordinarily well it does this it speeds up that particular wheel of the of the fruit machine uh, that particular mutational rate mm. of the variable bit by not just 10, not just mm. by 100, mm. not even by 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, million-fold, it can do all of that. Extraordinary. And so that part of the genome spins around at fast speed, and it's doing it in all the cells of the immune system. And what does the immune system then do? Well, it has another bit of intelligence, if you want to use that word, of logic, logic. in it, which logic. is this, yes. which is that as soon as one of them emerges that interacts, it's got the key to the lock, that interacts with the antigen, the particle that's invaded us, it says, OK, reproduce. Yes. So you get many of those, yes. the rest are allowed to die. Yes. Now, standard evolutionary biologists say, well, there you are, Dennis, it's random mutation, you've admitted it. It's selection, you've admitted it. That's all you need. I say, hey, wait a minute. At the very beginning, remember, I said it was only that part of the genome that is allowed to change. If it was everywhere, you'd have nothing. It's, it's a system thing. Yes. That it's, is a, a system. it's a system Precisely. holding certain things constant and allowing others to use the random... Precisely so. Yeah, to change. The chance changes yes. are then accelerated 
uh, and yes. this tries out different keys yes. for the lock. Precisely so. So, yeah. there's, there's, so in that sense, we can talk about purpose because yes, there is purpose absolutely. to that process. There's a purpose to that we process. We can see an end product, which is that the key yeah. fits the lock. Exactly. We don't need intelligence design. We need to understand the logic of the, the system. The logic of the system, precisely. Now, let's just recap where we've got to on this because I think that's a very important stage in understanding that there can be a directionality that organisms themselves put on their own evolution. To change, To change, exactly. Because what is going on here, clearly that system evolved. And uh, the honest answer to the question, how did it evolve? Well, we don't really know, but it clearly did. And whether that happened by pure chance, followed by random... uh, things that then get selected for, we don't really know. But however it arose, we don't even have to answer that question. No. Once it's arisen, once it's there, it's no longer yes. purely random yes. that the functionality comes out, yes. precisely because it's targeted. Once, as it were, an attractor has that yeah. uh, capacity to do that. It's a capacity, yes. precisely so. Uh, and, and it's a capacity yes. that exists at that level. So can't, you can't find that if you if you yeah. pull the thing apart, dissect it apart to its little mm. parts, the system evaporates. You wouldn't see it. Yeah. You wouldn't no, that's see right. it. And indeed, if you have somebody, I'd like to put a near Darwinist inside <laughs> the cell and say, <laughs> "Have a look at what's cell. happening." And what he would tell me is, "Then it's, it's rapidly mutating." Yes. And it's, I tell you what, it's randomly mutating. It's totally stochastic. Yes. Okay, what else do you see? I see that when uh, a cell emerges that actually can lock on to the antigen, um, it's allowed to live. And that's all the selection. There you are, you see, it's just simply randomness plus selection. And what that is missing is precisely that already there is directionality it, in because it's the antici- targeting. Because it's anticipating a particular lock. Yeah. And exactly. responding to that particular yes. lock, it yeah. is now playing with the system in order to find an appropriate fit or the best fit for exactly that system. Exactly so. It holds that which is reasonably working yeah. constant or reasonably Precisely. constant, Precisely. but allows the appropriate yeah. bits of the system to change. Now, we've got to now move, therefore, from that specific system, the immune system, yeah. to moving to an organism like us, for example... Right. Uh, to demonstrate that it that that kind of process is also happening in evolutionary terms. Yes, well, we can demonstrate that if, first of all, and before we move to organisms like you and me, we can demonstrate it in unicellular organisms, which right. of course form a very large mm. fraction of life on Earth. Yes, all unicellular organisms can do that. How do bacteria enable the Rapid yes. mutation to yes. deal with and give us now of quite a scare because of the fact that they're capable yes. of producing forms of themselves which resist nearly all the antibiotics that we have. Again, available. they're responding to their environment. They're doing that. And, and to maintain their integrity. And they're mutating rapidly. Yep. And again, it is a hypermutation. Hyper means fast, big, if you like. Um, they're rapidly mutating, but only in certain regions of their genomes. Otherwise, if they rapidly mutated everywhere, they exactly. would destroy themselves. Exactly. That, that is obvious. Yes. So, um, 
I think there's another way, before we come now to the question of multicellular organisms, where yes. the argument changes, and we have to recognise that. Yes. But before we come to that, um, I think it's very interesting to reflect here on an argument that Richard Dawkins produced, which I think is a very interesting argument. Mm-hmm. He asked the question, um, would it be very improbable that by chance you would manage to get... 26 or 28, is, I can't remember now, letters in the Shakespeare phrase, yes. methinks yes. it is a weasel, yes. to come together by a monkey typing on a typewriter, you see. <laughs> now, he does something very interesting, because he shows, first of all, that can happen in just 20-odd generations. But how does it happen? He also holds the wheels constant. Constraints. As soon exactly. as he's got a letter... In his program, because exactly. it's a program that does this, as soon as you've got a letter that corresponds to me thinks it is a weasel, he holds it. So he's developed a system. That's right. Exactly, yes. he's got a system. He and, 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 That's and, right. and that system has a yes. logic. Yes, and he appreciates this because he says, you know, there is something um, not quite right about this example of how you could evolve the sequence me thinks it is a weasel from a random selection of the letters of the English alphabet because he says... But really, evolution isn't quite like that because it hasn't got a goal. I think. But you see that he misses. Yes, he he misses again this problem of trying to see the goal as being, as it were, outside the system. The goal is inside. Whereas it's the system. It's the system itself. You can say, first of all, our goal, the goal of the system, is that it maintains its integrity. We've already said that, even in terms of looking at random action. And in order to do that, it has defence mechanisms that enable it to react to challenge. And it does that in ways that are clearly purposive. The immune system clearly does that. The bacteria responding to challenge are clearly doing that. So you you can clearly, in unicellular organisms watch this process occurring. Now we come to multicellular organisms, yes. and here we encounter the real place where I would say neo-Darwinism has a chance of holding firm, because a central thesis of the neo-Darwinist approach was that the germline is sacrosanct. Yes. The ger- Okay. All of that can happen in your immune system cells during your lifetime, but none of that gets transmitted down the germline. And so all the other things that happen, if your eyes develop in a particular way, your heart develops in a particular way, your muscles develop in a particular way, none of that could possibly go down through the germline. And if your mother happened to have been eating X, Y and Z, or your grandmother X, Mm. Y and Z, uh, it can't be the case that affects what happens to you. Well, now we know that's not true. We know it's not true. We know from looking at all the work on the developmental origins of health and disease that it actually is a profound impact, generation after generation. And if the environmental influences that brought about the change in the first place persist, then so too will those characteristics persist in the population. Exactly so. Now, the dilemma here is that we know it happens, but the precise molecular mechanisms yes. are a subject of investigation because we're not at all clear yet 
but it no, lo- no longer no longer means that the that the germline, as it were, is as sacrosanct, as it were. Yeah, that, that, there's things... some, that, that, that there's a mechanism that sort of wipes the whole thing clean before it passes yes. it on to the, these are these are all these are the key blueprints for life, and we're going to pass it on unmolested. This is the pure being, as it were, and you hand these these genes on to the next generation, and then to the next generation, and there's some sort of purity. It begs yeah. the question of how on earth such a purity could have evolved in the first well, place and protected itself in that way without a system to protect it. But that's no, neither here nor indeed, there. But yes. here we are with this pure system, uh, almost a sort of a platonic ideal of the person that gets handed on. Handed from on yes. And then yes. the ravages of the environment would alter it in that generation yes. and so on. But it, uh, this, this is really the sort of notion. But of course, yeah. the germ line has to be remembered, develops within the system. It does it's not immune from the system. And, at, 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 and it's yeah, outset, right. at its yes. outset, yes, it is exactly. heavily influenced by the system it's developing in. Exactly so. Actually, I see, I was half inclined to say in response to your elegant speech just now... <laughs> Sorry. Yes, no, but you see, I, I was half inclined to say, well, actually, I, I go along with that about 90%. Of course we've got to keep germline reasonably sacrosanct. Yes. Weissman wasn't wrong in saying there's a barrier. Yes. It just it's not perfect. Yes. And the fact it's not perfect. We have many is barriers. Critical. We have many barriers like we've got the blood brain, brain the blood exactly. brain barrier which seeks yeah. to protect the brain from changes in the system sure. uh, and so on. But we know that it's not Some, absolutely 100%. Some things get across, some things influence exactly the way the brain so. develops. Sure. And what we found now is that some of the markings of the genome go down through the germline. There's clear proof of that now, sometimes through many generations. We know also that RNAs go down through the germline, through the sperm as well. So paternal effects can clearly go down. Exactly. Those, 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 those environmental and nutritional effects, incidentally, are seen uh, also in the male line as well. So yes, exactly. Yes, yes. So, so the, they the, have the, to the environment of the of yes. the male also influences. When it has them. to be the case; these go down. Moreover, we know that not all of it has to go down through the germline. See, there's lovely I'm thinking of the study of uh, Michael Meany and his colleagues in Canada on the stroking behaviour of rodents. Lovely, which. Stroking behaviour itself actually marks the genome in the hippocampus, the region of the brain that is partly involved in emotional response, so that those animals, when they grow up to be adult, are predisposed to that kind of emotional response. Mm -hmm. Stroking Mm -hmm. their young Mm -hmm. gets transmitted, even if nothing goes down through the Mm -hmm. germline. Now, remember too that the organism in organisms like you and me, develops in us. Exactly. In the mother. Exactly. And during the whole of that period, there's opportunity for influences to be transmitted. And we have to remember that that developmental environment has also evolved. Exactly so. So it's not as if there's a developmental environment in which organisms are developed, but the development, <laughs> yeah. the, the the environment of the organism has evolved as well. So, yes, and and sure. and in a terms of our logic of the system and the functionality, it's it's involved in a way that helps to maintain the integrity of an organism yes. developing, and the system, the organism is not just simply developing. It, it, you know, it's not just a miniature adult, as it were, developing into an adult and then it gets born and it's an adult and it continues. Yeah. It's got its own physiology, its own system. Same yes. responses. And the sure. way it responds in utero determines, to at least some extent, how it might behave in 
the environment into which it's born. Yes, exactly. It's heavily influenced, the hormonal influences that are occurring through the mother and so mm. on. We're not totally uh, isolated in our development. Right, yes, indeed. So what this is telling us then is that while, unlike the immune system evolving within the lifetime of an individual or bacteria and other unicellular organisms evolving rapidly to resist problems that they encounter, in organisms that have a separate germline, we have, generally speaking, to suppose that the mechanisms by which functionality is introduced and evolution, if you like, has a certain degree of direction, that certain degree we'll come on to in a moment, how visually aware was the watchmaker. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, we can perhaps come to that at the end of this discussion. But um, what we can say is that the precise mechanisms by which that happens in organisms with germlines necessarily has to be different from the simple example that I gave of the immune system developing and of unicellular organisms yes. developing. But we can still say that the effects are there and can be observed to occur transgenerationally, even if, at the moment, nobody can fully tell us exactly the mechanism. Now, mm -hmm. why might that be the case? The way I think of it is this. Let's imagine that down that sperm line, for example, a whole collection of RNAs mm -hmm. are being transmitted. What do RNAs do? We don't fully know, actually. <laughs> That's an interesting fact. Um, many of them, of course, are, 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 are made following the template of those parts of the genome that are not actually protein-coding parts. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> what we found with the non-protein-coding parts of the genome is that about 80% of that was once thought to be junk DNA, is actually mm -hmm. transcribed, mm -hmm. usually to form small RNAs. Many of those are known to be functional, but we don't know exactly what they do. Now, why might that be the case? It's exactly the same way as we don't know why particular patterns of gene expressions yes, yes. have the functionality they have. That is something that's seen from the high level of the organism. Of course. From the cells and the organism yes. tissues of the body. Because it's the organism that is going to be pulling onto those genes, as it were, uh, uh, and, and, and getting them to express in particular ways at particular times in particular yeah. quantities. It's a little bit like uh, if you have a, a, a chefs in a kitchen uh, producing pies and pastries and goodness knows what else. Uh, they will uh, require different things at different times and different temperatures and so on, and the whole thing comes together as a as a whole. As a you know, it's not, and and the the the, the, the gene no the genome in this sense is not. A blueprint. It's not a recipe in the sense that the chef gets the recipe book out and finds the genome, is it? The genome are the tools that are used, yeah. the bits that are used to produce what is needed, the proteins. Well, actually, Watson got it right. When Watson and Crick first worked out the double helix structure, Watson said to Crick, you know, Francis, it's a template. It's a template. He got it right first exactly. time. Then it all went wrong. But anyway, the fact is that... Um, Seeing it all as templates is the right way to look at it. Given the numbers, though, now we come on to the very interesting thing. The so-called regulatory parts of the genome, the bits that can be easily modified by methylation and other processes, there's a huge number of them. 
throughout mm. a genome of three billion base pairs. The idea that from the viewpoint of DNA you can see the organisation of that is absurd. It's not going to be evident at that level, just as, going back to physics again, looking at the individual gas particles won't tell you the pressure <laughs> in the gas chamber. Um, you get that from measuring the total pressure. Similarly, I would argue you will only get an understanding of the patterns of gene expression yes. from high-level physiological analysis. Yes. Similarly, now coming to RNAs, you will only get to understand the pattern of those, which we understand very little at the moment, by some degree of understanding how, at a functional level, yes. those are organised. You won't see that at the DNA level. No, and this is what you mean by purpose. Yes, Exactly. Uh, and you can only understand that purpose by understanding the system and the way the system uses the genome. Exactly. So now we come to the question, was the watchmaker blind? Yes. <laughs> now, I think there's a very interesting question here because clearly what Paley was saying was that whoever that watchmaker was, he was many-eyed. <laughs> he may, may not just have had binocular vision, he might have had multiocular vision. I mean, in other words, the superb craftsman, the, yes. the, the thing the, or, or the god that created it all. Now, I think it's worth modifying the blind watchmaker analogy a little bit, and in the following way. Since it's, as it were, partial vision that is yes, occurring yes, here. You see, yes. go back to the immune system for a moment, you only mutate that part of the immunoglobulin coding region that needs to be variable. You don't modify the rest. The vision comes from knowing where that is. Yes. That is a kind of vision. Now, of course, it's not optical vision. In a sense, in, in, in a sense that um, it isn't so much vision as feeling one's way. <laughs> yes. It, uh, therefore, <laughs> I mean, you're touching around in the dark, as it were, but you'd actually find something that fits and well, works. Should we say that, that this means that we should say that the watchmaker has got a rather moderately functional single eye. <laughs> it's <laughs> blurred vision. It's a blurred vision in it's one a eye. Vision. Yes, and I think that's a good way to put it, isn't it? That, that um, you can imagine feeling way forward all the time. And, mm. of course, there's mm. eons mm. in which mm. to do it. Mm. Multiple yes. generations, yes. Yes. as we know, has, uh, has passed before major speciation occurs. Yes. So... Um, feeling the way forward, I think, is right. But what is wrong is to say that process has got no direction. Yes. That's what I think is clearly now wrong. With this particular programme, we'll leave it uh, at, at that. And so we've got a one-eyed watchmaker. We've got a one-eyed watchmaker. <laughs> feeling his way. Feeling his way through in the dark. Fog. <laughs> it's it's dark. But he got there, <laughs> even so. Right, yes. Dennis Dable, thank you very much. Thank you.